Hello and welcome to the EMJ podcast. My name is Simon Cowley and today I'm going to be taking you through the highlights and the primary survey from June 2019 in the Emergency Medicine Journal. Now this month's primary survey editor is Ed Carlton, our friend from the Southwest, and he's picked out a number of different papers which we think will catch your interest. Now, kicking off this month is the editor's choice and it's on a topic which will be dear to many of our hearts that of overcrowding and the busyness and the pressure that's going on in the emergency departments and Ed like myself has spent quite a lot of time recently apparently getting into the ED and finding you know real significant pressures on what's been going on um, attendance records, uh, they're being broken daily in a lot of departments across the country and a lot of people think they're drowning. In fact, I draw an analogy sometimes that um, the way that we've seen the numbers sort of consistently rise in our, in our department, it's a bit like climate change in that you're not necessarily, it's not hotter every day, but the number of days when it's really hot and that you're getting worse conditions than we used to have on a such a regular basis is definitely going on. The whole thing seems to be heating up a bit like climate change. So, in the face of that pressure, ED staff are we're still try, striving to provide the best quality care that we can. So in this month's Editor's Choice, we've got a unique perspective on the assessment of performance versus quality, because they're not the same. Um, in an observational study of 118 acute trusts in England, uh, Thomas Allen and his colleagues have explored the relationship between the established ED performance indicators, including things like the four-hour target, which you'll be familiar with, and then departmental ratings following inspection by the Care Quality Commission, which those of us in the UK will be familiar with, but those of us outside the UK, the CQC is basically an inspectorate of hospitals. And they don't look necessarily, in my humble opinion, about the quality, but they're much more interested in process and things like that. Anyway, the th interesting thing is, that the CQC has a lot of power, has a lot of authority, but there's a complete lack of association between things like time-based metrics and CQC ratings. And actually, that's probably not a great surprise to us, as, as Adrian Boyle says in this, and there's a really good accompanying editorial to this. You should read that as well. Um, the data provides evidence to the commissioners and to the hospital boards that poor performance against the time-based metrics, usually the four-hour target, doesn't necessarily mean that the quality of care delivered is substandard. And that's really important because... Although we are a time-based specialty, particularly in the UK, quality is not time. And we know that. But when people have been given a number to measure as against, they like measuring against the number. And the number at the moment is time. You see where this is going. Anyway, read that. Very important stuff. Okay. Then we go on to the reader's choice, which is looking at improving outcomes in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. And it explores the pre-hospital determinants of a successful outcome after out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. And this is a registry study of over 9,000 cardiac arrest patients in the UK. And it's Barnard, I think it's said Barnard and his colleagues, they use a univariate and multivariate analysis to identify predictors of survival. And this is important because it adds to our understanding um, in separating cardiac arrest into traumatic and non-traumatic etiologies. And the authors ascertain that these two etiologies are clinically distinct with different predictors of outcome. Probably not that surprising. And interestingly... Um, an initial shockable rhythm was a predictor of favourable outcome in both cohorts. Interesting. Although, let's face it, shockable rhythms are pretty rare in traumatic arrest. And you wonder whether that's a misdiagnosis, so perhaps a person had their VF cardiac arrest and then crashed their car. That can happen. Seen that. Um, however, paper highlights the need for improved public access to defibrillators and engagement in bystander CPR in order to improve out-of-hospital cardiac arrest outcomes. I'd agree with all of that. Some time ago, I was involved in a cardiac arrest myself in the pre-hospital um, 
setting as a bystander and it wasn't in this country it was in this country that has a very good pre-hospital system and we started the CPR and literally within minutes we had a defibrillator on scene because it automatically um, got a defibrillator to the location which had been dispatched by security guards in a local place amazing when things work when you have all of these things in place uh, you can get good results and we did we got a, a survivor it was great then we're going to go and have a look at a paper on the changing face of thoracic trauma. Again, something we've covered a lot of in the in the EMJ about the fact that trauma isn't just young males crashing motorbikes. And so we know that things are changing and there's an increasing healthcare load. It says burden sometimes, but I think it's just a load. It's what we do, isn't it? Of older person's trauma or sometimes called silver trauma. So this month in a retrospective registry review from Australia, Noah Ferrer and colleagues provide some novel insight into a subset of these major trauma patients, those with a serious thoracic injury. Similar patterns emerging here. The greatest increase in thoracic injuries, 14% per year, is actually seen in older patients and those over 85 in particular. And given the morbidity attached to these injuries in this really very vulnerable group, the work highlights the need for improved identification and an evidence base for the subsequent management of these patients. I've got to say, since we've started doing CT a lot more, I've, my threshold for CTing elderly patients with chest injury has gone right down because it's, it's, you pick up some horrendous injuries. And we'll also be familiar um, with the concept of seeing people coming back several days later after or a moderate chest injury with a big hemothorax, all sorts of crazy stuff going on. So definitely a population to be um, cautious with. So that's that. And then uh, Ed's picked out a paper um, to look at one of the, well, one of the early fruits of the Royal College of Emergency Medicine PhD studentship. So Blair Graham, who I know, hello Blair, working down in the Southwest, um, is an excellent young researcher, he's got a huge um, future ahead of him. And he brings us back to what really defines the quality of care from a patient perspective in a really interesting design, actually a qualitative metasynthesis of patient experience in the ED. And interestingly, going back to what we were thinking about before, no mention of the four-hour target here. So themes explored, uh, particularly around good interpersonal communication and addressing emotional needs, allows the authors to provide us with what's a pretty interesting conceptual model of what the patient experience is. It appears that actually patients are fairly happy with well not happy but they're accepting of prolonged waits but it's other factors that make a difference again it's not about time guys it's about quality and quality is not measured on a stopwatch so some good stuff there and i think it's also important that this work is done because it allows us to understand the perspective of what we do from the patient's perspective and we are in medicine in emergency medicine in general still quite paternalistic about this about we know what's best well you know asking the patients is quite useful one of the problems we've had in emergency medicine is it's often quite difficult to get hold of a patient representative group. If you have, I don't know, vaginus granulomatosis, there's probably a society of people with vaginus that you can go to. And there, there are a, a group of people who you, you can get a real insight into that disease and how it's managed. It's quite difficult in emergency medicine. We don't have a specialist group. I suppose we have some regular users, but they may not um, be the right people to speak to. We're there for everybody, so it's quite difficult to get patient insight. So I think this work is actually quite important. So have a look at that, and keep an eye on Blair. As I said, he's a, he's a lovely chap and uh, doing really well with his research. So finishing off, we've got a concepts paper looking at the anatomy of resuscitative care units, um, a novel service which seems to be gaining traction in the US. 
potential solution to ensure patients receive optimal care during the most critical hours of their illness. Um, I think Scott Weingart and stuff like that. Um, and then uh, perspectives on a salutary lesson to all ED clinicians um, discussing how pelvic examinations should perhaps not be confined to the gynae ward. Mary McLean and Livia Santiago Rosado caution the rush to judgment around this key clinical question and urge us to examine the evidence before changing our practice. We look forward to seeing more of that sort of stuff in the future. We like the perspective articles. So, very brief run through June. Another good um, edition of the EMJ with some really interesting stuff in there. As I said, have a look at those, and in particular, have a look at the editorials. Good one from Adrian Boyle there. And before long, it will be summer here, which is great. And that's a time when emergency medicine slows down in the UK. Normally, but because of climate change, it's getting hotter. So, enjoy your emergency medicine. I hope you have a good time, and we'll be back to speak to you in July. Thank you.